seated. Well, if you are uh, new here today, if this is your first time at Anchored Hope, uh, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We'd love to make it as easy as possible to make this church your church home. And uh, in the back, um, if you stop by our, uh, our welcome table, uh, Pastor Mike Lair is back there and he's got a gift for you today. It's just a little, little cup and we'd love to get to know you a, l- a little bit better, uh, but we are so glad you guys are here. Um, isn't it true that every religion... Basically, it comes down to just a little bit of what I would call behavioral conformity, right? I mean, every church that you walk into, every religion, every temple, there's kind of a song and dance, right? I mean, there's something going on. I mean, even as you walked in here today, this may be your first time or this may just be new to you. Uh, and, and you're like, all right, so what's, what's the deal, right? What all's going on here? I mean, first in, you walked off, they're taking in new members, right? And you're like, all right, see, I joined a cult. I knew it, you know? And uh, I want to let you know, too, half the people that were up here came from another cult called CrossFit. So anyway, I mean, it's just cult after cult after cult. But I mean, every time you walk in, I mean, there's some kind of rigmarole. There's some kind of up, down, sit down, you know, this kind of thing, touch the bird bath. I mean, there's always something, right? And so you, you come in and you try to figure out exactly what that is, you know, because you know it's there, you know it exists. And, and for some of us, you know, when we were growing up as kids, When we were brought to church, when we were held against our will and brought, you know, we just kind of learned it. You know, we just learned it. We just got into it. We're just like, all right, that's the deal. That's how they do it. That's how they do things here. Got it. All right, I'll jump in. I'll learn. I'll get into it. And then you get to that age where you're like 18, between 18 and 22, you know, and you finally get to like discover things for yourself, you know, and you get to start thinking for yourself and you're trying to figure out how to be an adult and how to be your, your own person and not just take what your parents have placed on you, but try to figure out, you know, who you are as a person and who you're going to be as a family and who you're going to be as a couple. That's completely normal. And so then you start to like, look back at some of those things and you're like, why did we even do it that way? You know, like, what was that about? Like for me, I mean, I, I'm a pastor's kid. So I grew up around all this. And I mean, whenever I became a pastor, I was like, why? Why did we go to church and we did this thing called Sunday school where we sat in a classroom for an hour and a half and we learned about Jesus. And then we went into the sanctuary and we learned about Jesus. And then we went home, we took a nap, and then we came back Sunday night and we learned about Jesus. Like, did we have to go to church for eight hours to learn about Jesus? Like, was one story not enough? But we all have stories like that. And for some of you, maybe that's even what kind of drove you away from church or drove you away from religion. You're like, man, I just, I think there's more to it than this. I don't feel like this is what I need. I feel like I'm looking for something more genuine. I think I'm looking for something more real. I want to know about this relationship thing. And I don't need to do all this song and dance to be able to, to understand that. Well, there was a statement that Jesus made. That after he said it, for most of us, when we read this, we were like, ah, okay, cool, next. But when Jesus said it, I think that there was a literal gasp in the room. Because what he said broke so many barriers, so many rules, it was almost off-putting. And the statement that he said is this. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. <gasps> 
right? Okay, see, none of you shock, shock and awe. You ever be like, I, 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 don't, I don't get it, right? That just, okay, that flew right over my head. I don't understand. But here's the thing you have to understand. Jesus is standing in the temple, and it is the Sabbath day. And he makes sure that everybody knows, hey, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the reason that this would have shook everybody to their core was because the Sabbath was just, it was the end all be all. I mean, that was how you knew how holy you were. That's how you knew how close you were to God. And and this, just to kind of help you understand the shock and awe of this, this would be like if Jesus were here today and he stood in front of everybody and he said, you know what? If the people are hungry, Chick-fil-A should be open on Sunday, right? Okay. Now you get the shock and awe, right? I mean, all of the old school people would be like, you blasphemer. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the Lord's chicken. It can never be open on Sunday is what they'd say, right? I mean, that's the equivalent of what Jesus said to them. I mean, it would have shook everybody up. But here's the thing that Jesus was trying to help people understand is that the law that the rules that they were following at that time, those 613 commands, not the Ten Commandments, the 613 of them that they were following, he wanted them to know, look, the rules were made for man, not man for the rules. Meaning what he was trying to help them understand is, you know what? People come first. Not the religious systems, not the rules, not the traditions, Not the way the church looks, not the worship music, not any of the song and dance. All of that stuff, fine if it has its place. But you have to understand, people always come first before religion. People always come first before rules. And here's the thing. When we get it twisted, people get hurt. And maybe that's your story. Is that... You were great with Jesus. You just don't like church. (laughs) Because when you went to church, it seemed like you had to fit in a certain mold and you had to go down a certain track and you you had to look a certain way. You had to be a certain way. You had to do certain things. And the thing is, is that people held their thumb on you about those things. And that's, that's where you got hurt. And so this morning, we're gonna dive back into our story. And and if that's your story, if that's you, if that's where you're coming from this morning, I, I hope that today is a game changer for you. I hope that today helps you understand that when Jesus came near, he went to the religious and said, do not get it twisted. People always come first. So if you're just joining us today, uh, we are we're traveling through a story. And and let me explain this real quick. This is, this is the story of Jesus. Jesus lived between, uh, Jesus had his ministry between the ages of about 30 and 33. And he went around and he started to gather followers and apostles, or as we call them, disciples. They were young fishermen and, and different, all kinds of different people in roughly their 20s or mid-20s. And, and this story, even though we think of it as a Bible story, it, it's actually told by the apostle Simon Peter. Many of you probably Probably that name rings a bell. He was a fisherman in his mid-twenties. He had a wife. He lived with his mother-in-law. And, and he left and he followed Jesus for these three years. 
And, and he had these stories that he told for the next 30 years after Jesus was re- crucified and resurrected. It, Peter told this story for the next 30 years. And then at the age of roughly mid-50s, he's arrested by the emperor of Rome because persecution of Christians uh, w- was a big deal. Because Christians were considered a political party at that time. And they threatened everyone. And so all of the disciples and apostles start being killed. And so Peter's captured. He's sitting, sitting in Rome under house arrest. And his friend, John Mark, comes and visits him. It's his traveling companion. And so John Mark comes and visits him. And he says, Peter, we have to document this story. This story that that you've told for the last 30 years of who Jesus was, what you saw, what you experienced. We have to to write this down. And it has to be be, protected. It has to be kept. We can't let this go. So as we dive back into the story, you know it as the Gospel of Mark, the second book in your New Testament. But here's the thing. I don't want you to hear, we're not reading a Bible story. We're not reading the book of Mark. We're reading and learning about Jesus through the eyes of Peter. This is what Peter said he saw. And this is an old man who sat down one day with his buddy, John Mark, knowing he was going to die. And he's telling us what he saw. And he's going through it. He's trying to help us understand who Jesus is. So... This is part three. If you want to listen to the other parts, they're on Spotify and iTunes and YouTube and all of that jazz. But in this part of the story, Jesus starts to perform miracles, right? All kinds of things are going on. And then they come across a tax collector by the name of Levi. And we talked about last week, tax collectors were just the worst. Like you're going to see here in a minute that when they talk about tax collectors, they go sinners and tax collectors because they're almost two separate things. Like there's sinners and then there's tax collectors, okay? I mean, that's how they see them because they're such bad guys because the government... They taxed people through these tax collectors, but they didn't regulate these tax collectors. So these tax collectors would take the 20% they were supposed to tax people, but then they'd tack on an extra 15 for themselves. And so they were rich, they were corrupt, no one regulated them, and whoever your tax collector was, that's who you were stuck with. You know, so that's, that's the story that we're in. And so Jesus and the, the disciples, they, they're, they're passing by and they see Levi, the tax collector, in his tax collector booth. And the disciples are just like, oh, that, that scum of the earth, that guy, that, oh gosh, we hate this guy. Jesus, you should go give him a talking to. And Jesus goes, I think I will. And Jesus comes up to him and he invites Levi to follow him. He goes, Levi, get up and follow me. And Levi, guess what he does? He does. He decides to get up and follow Jesus. And so Levi, at this point in the story, this is where we stopped last week. Levi, the scum of the earth, this terrible person who, mind you, hasn't prayed a prayer of forgiveness, hasn't repented of his sins, didn't fall down on his knees and say, oh, Jesus, I'm a bad person. He just gets up and goes, I got nothing better to do. Sure, let's go. You know what I mean? And so he stands up and he goes to Jesus and he goes, all right, so where are we going? You know, which is just such a good practical part of the Bible. You know what I mean? Because like you like, and and then he went off with Jesus. No, that's not what he did. He stood up and he goes, all right, so what are we doing next? And you know what they decided? Jesus said, well, let's, I'm hungry. Let's go to your lunch. Or let's go, let's go to lunch at your house. Let's go, let's go there. Let's go pick up some Panera bread. 
We'll get some bread bowls and some soup, and we'll, we'll go to your house. And so Levi shuts down his whole office and goes, you guys want to go to lunch with this new rabbi, this teacher guy, Jesus? We're going to pick up some Panera bread soup on me, all right? You guys go. So they do. They shut down the whole tax office, and they go to Levi's house. And this is what Peter tells us. He says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house... Or we'll say Panera, because we're going to put that in there. Uh, Many tax collectors and sinners, again, you see how they're separated. Tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So all of these guys, this whole tax office, they get up, they follow Jesus, and where do they go? They go to Levi's house. So here we have all these corrupt tax, tax people and sinners, and then we got the disciples. And I mean, this is bad, right? I mean, I, people tell me all the time that perception is reality, all right? So I mean, think about this. You're Jesus. You're claiming to be the Son of God. You're this rabbi. And, and what do you do, like, just a few weeks into this thing? You, you go home with Levi, you know? And you're sitting there, and people can see you at Levi's house having a party, it doesn't look great, does it? And so these, these Pharisees were already at the point where they were shadowing Jesus. They were very curious of this Jesus. And they were watching him because they thought that he might be a threat. So they start spying on Jesus and they start following Jesus. And so then Peter says next, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they were none too happy. Like, what in the world is this guy doing? If this guy claims to be the son of God and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, we can't even get an appointment with this guy. This guy won't even go get coffee with us. And here he is hanging out with the scum of the universe. This is terrible. So they, they, they get Peter and some of the uh, disciples' attention. They're like, hey, psst, Peter, come outside. We got to talk to you for a minute, you know? So they pull some of the disciples outside, you know, they maybe pull John, pull Peter outside. Peter obviously knew all about it, so he probably was one of them. And they asked, they said, why, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What, what is this guy's problem? He shouldn't be doing this. This, is, this, is ter- this does not look good. You need to tell him that this does not look good. Perception is reality. And he's going to hurt his ministry. I'm telling you right now, this is not going to go well when everybody sees this, when everybody hears this. And Jesus must have heard it, must have seen it. Plus, he's a mind reader, as we learned last week. So, I mean, he knows exactly what's going on, right? And so, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, just imagine for a minute, okay? Here's Levi. His whole office is there, okay? So, there's like a ton of people there. They're all eating their Panera bread. And and Jesus is sitting there, too. And he, he looks outside the window. Jesus is refilling his, you know, the, the coffee pot or whatever. And, and so he looks outside and Pharisees are, are pulling Peter and the gang aside going, you know, and Jesus knows exactly what they're saying. And they're pointing their fingers at the house. And Jesus, for everybody to hear, loud enough that everybody can hear, he yells it out the window so the Pharisees can hear him. But he yells it so loud, everybody in the house can hear him. He goes, hey! It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he turns around and goes, anybody want some more hazelnut? You know? (laughs) But think about it for a minute. You may not have ever thought about this before. Think about it for a minute. You're Levi sitting there at the dinner table with your bread bowl full of broccoli cheddar soup. That's my fat boy meal right there. I love that right there. 
And you're dipping your, your bread in your bread bowl and you hear Jesus go, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And if you're a Levi, you go, what did he just say? What he would have turned to his colleagues and say, she would have said, did he just call us sick? Think about that, right? I mean, Levi heard him say this. And all of a sudden, Jesus just said, I'm here because they're sick. What do you mean I'm sick? Did he just call us sick? And I'm sure there was a little bit of commotion there for just a minute. Because, I mean, I'm sure that they all, their minds were a little bit twisted up. Everybody who was from Levi's office probably went, now wait a minute, Jesus. We thought you were down with us. You were being really, really cool. You bought us Panera. You're serving us coffee. You came to our house. We thought you, like, accepted us and everything. And then you just, you just called us sick. What, 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 what in the world is, is going on here? There are two such important things happening here. Things we got, we got to stop for a minute. We got to unpack this because this is so important. You and I have to come to an understanding. We have to come to a realization that, that we, you have to understand that at one point in time or currently now, you have been or you are sick. You are. We all were. I, I have been sick. You have been sick. Some of you right now, you are sick. And at first, that just sounds offensive. Like, what did you just call me? What did you just say? But here's the thing. Every single one of us, what Jesus is trying to help us understand, the whole reason that Jesus came near is to help us understand that we were in need of a Savior. We were in need of help. And the first step in this whole thing called following Jesus is understanding that you need help. And look, it's not a diss. It's not something that you should feel shame for. I mean, I don't know the last time you've actually been physically sick if you had a cold or something. But when you got sick, did you, did you feel guilty? Did you feel bad? No. Because you were sick. You can't help it. I mean, you get, you get sick. It happens sometimes, right? Sometimes it's a fault of your own because you shouldn't be outside licking doorknobs. But sometimes you don't know where you got it from. And so, you know, it just, it happens. It's not something you should feel shame for unless you were out licking doorknobs or other things you shouldn't have licked. Then you should probably feel stupid. But the point is, is that we've all been sick. And so we all have to come to this realization that we, that we need God. And, and I've said this before, and I've said, I'll say it again. Somebody at my small group a couple weeks ago said, man, when you said this, this meant the world to me. This helped me understand who God is and how he looks at me. And the statement is this. Jesus loves you just how you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Do you understand that? Jesus does love you just the way you are. If Jesus were here today, he would pursue you. He would come to your gym. He would say, let's go to your house. He would come to your work. He would come to find you at Target. And he'd say, let's come to your house. And he would say, I love you so much. I love you just the way you are. But let me tell you something. I love you way too much to leave you where you are. And I came to help you. I came to make you better at life. And, and, and to make your life better. That is, that is why the kingdom of God came Near. Now, the second thing that I was thinking about when I was looking at this, 
And we have a lot of millennials in the room. We have a lot of people in that, in that age group. We have a lot of Gen Z. I, I want to kind of talk to you specifically because this is kind of a cultural thing. This is kind of a generational thing. A lot of my generation would say, man, I don't judge anybody. I accept everybody. I love everybody. And let me tell you something. That is so good. That is so awesome. You, you are so close to the kingdom of God. That is fantastic. But my generation also Sometimes we, we make these assumptions or I hear these conversations of if Jesus were here in 2023, he'd be at that march. If Jesus were here, he'd be at that parade. If Jesus were here, he'd be hanging out with these people. If Jesus were here, I bet we wouldn't run into him at a church. We'd run into him at a bar. And look, I, I, I get, I'm always afraid I'm going to get struck by lightning. So I don't make those kind of assumptions, Okay. Uh, if you want to make those statements, just don't stand close to me. Okay. But if you want to assume or state publicly where you think Jesus would be, if Jesus were alive today, that's fine. And you look, you may be right, but let me tell you something. If Jesus were at that parade or if Jesus was at that March or if Jesus was at that bar, he may be there, but I guarantee you at some point he would tell everybody that they were sick. At some point in time, Jesus would say, look, I didn't come to just shoot the breeze with you. Wanted to let you know, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. And my generation, my generation, y'all love to do this weird thing where, 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 where we like to go, the reason, pastor, I'm out at the bars on Friday night is because I'm basically an evangelist. Because if Jesus were here, Jesus would be hanging out at these places. And so that's why I'm basically Jesus. I'm drinking Budweiser in the name of Christ, Pastor. And I'm going, okay, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. If Jesus were here today, he may be in those places, all right. But Jesus would remind people that they were sick. And we need to be reminded of this. Again, especially my generation, right? The mission is to inspire the sick to follow Jesus, not to fit into the world. And let's be honest, just between you and me, some of y'all just doing it to fit into the world. It's got very quiet, all right? That's fine. All right, yeah. But truthfully, right? And the thing is, is that Jesus, Jesus would remind people. Now, here's the thing. This is why as pastor, look, I'm, I'm no prude, okay? But there's some places I don't go and some things I don't partake in. Mainly because if I go, it's, it's, I wouldn't recommend you going everywhere you've been going and just start telling everybody they're sick. You probably won't get invited back, okay? So that's the thing. Either you're going to go and you're going to tell people they're sick, not recommended, okay? Or you're not going to go to some of those places because you know that what's going on in that room, it's not healthy, Right? And you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You've been sitting there with people and there's gossip going on and there's people talking about having an affairs and there's temptation everywhere. And you know, you ever know you just sit in that room and you just feel there are not pure things happening right now. Those are places we shouldn't be because they're not places where the kingdom of God is, is coming near. And so here, here's the thing. Levi hears this, right? Levi and all of his associates. Jesus is like, I'm here for the sick people, and these people are sick. It's why I'm having dinner with them. And they're like, what in the world? And all of a sudden what happens 
is a decision has to be made. Okay? It's very obvious. Okay? The, the, the game is up. Yes, Jesus loves them. Jesus accepts them. Jesus loves them just how they are. But he loves them too much to leave them there. And he's here to tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. And he's going to invite them to repent and believe. To face and embrace Jesus as their king. And to do things this kingdom way. That's, that's what he's here to do. And so then all of a sudden, they have a decision to make. And you know what? You have a decision to make too. And do you know... Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to admit you need help? No, you don't. <laughs> That's the answer. You don't. You have no idea. You have no clue. Because how could any of us know? And, and, and you and I both know. We've had these conversations with friends, with family, with our spouse, with our kids. There have been those little glimmers where all of our filters break off and something comes out. Could be anger, could be bitterness, could be anxiety, could be just lack of self-confidence, could be not knowing who we are. And, and it comes out and people are like, man, you know, you kind of have a temper. You kind of, something, I feel like something's going on with you. I feel like there's something there you need to unpack. And we're like, no, I don't. You know, we fight immediately. We defend ourselves. We fight back. We're like, stay out of my business. This is just my thing. I'm just having a bad day. But the thing is, is you're not just having a bad day. The thing is, is that all your filters fell off and your true self poked through for just a second. And everybody saw it, and it came out, and it was even a little hurtful, and it was a little bad, and it's not great for your marriage, it's not great for your relationship, it's not great for your health. And it came through, and somebody was like, maybe you need help, but it ended there. Because nobody's going to sit there and just hit you with a bat and continue to tell you you need help. And so it ended there. But that, that, those, those times of tension, those times with our family, those times where we, we fight with our spouse or our kids or with a friend... Those are those little moments where the Spirit is kind of tapping on our shoulder and going, see that, that right there. I want to help you with that. I, I want to guide you through that. I want to give you something that you don't have. You can't muster the strength for. I, I want to show you would, you, would you take on my life, my way of doing things, and would you let me show you how to navigate through this sickness, through this pain, through this hurt, through this trauma that you've experienced? Let me help you through that. See, the thing is, is admitting that you need help, what hangs in the balance is freedom. It's, it's freedom and it's forgiveness. And, and, and it's the ability to have patience. And let me tell you probably the biggest thing that hangs in the balance of you admitting that you need help and following, making the decision to follow Jesus. It's confidence. Because let me tell you, if all of us, if our confidence was in Christ, if we knew just how much he loved us and who he says we are, and how, if we knew how valuable we are to him, Half of the spats that we have with people, half of the things we get upset with, half of the insecurities that we have would go away. If we just knew who we are in Christ and just how much he loves us. And then Jesus says this. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this was, this was a game changer. This was something they had never heard before. See, back then and that day, culturally, conversion wasn't a thing. Okay, 
You didn't try to convert people. Religions didn't try to convert people from their religion. You didn't try to con- uh, you know, convert somebody to Judaism or anything like that. That just wasn't a thing. Gods and religion, gods were like apps, okay? When it came to a problem, there's a God for that, okay? You need your crops to grow, we got a God for that. You need your kids to be protected, we got a God for that, right? And so all of these people would just... Add God like apps. You know how many apps you have on your phone, right? A lot, some of you. All right? That's like, there was just tons of gods. They're like, oh, well, we, we, we have a new problem. You know, our, our daughter's getting married. We need a God for that. Okay, put this idol up on the mantle. Oh, well, we need, some, we, we need help this year with our finances. Oh, there's a God for that. Here's that God. Okay, put that idol on this mantle over here. And so you didn't, you didn't convert from one religion to another. You didn't go from one God to another. You just added gods on top of each other. That's what you did. But here's the thing. Jesus says, I, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. He said something for the first time that he hadn't said. I have come to invite you to leave something. What? What do you mean? I thought we just like add you on top of everything else we've been doing. No, 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 no. That's not what I came to do. The kingdom of God has come near, which meant I am inviting you to leave what you were doing in the past. Leave that other religion. Leave all that other stuff. Leave all these traditions and take me on. Let me be your king. Let me be your one and only God. Let me, let my way of teaching you how to live, let that be the way you live your life. I want you to take on my kingdom and my kingdom principles. I've come to bring heaven down to earth to teach you the ways of how to live like my children right now so I can make you better at life and make your life better. And I'm inviting you to leave your past life behind. And then... Peter goes into all these different analogies that Jesus liked to, liked to share. And he, he shared these analogies probably more than once. But then Peter, it, Mark, it kind of looks like it jumps. But again, this is just an old man telling his stories. And so he jumps right into these illustrations that Jesus used to use. And so Jesus used to say things like this. Peter goes, you know, Jesus always used to say, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Which again, you're like... What? <laughs> like, Peter's just an old man telling stories in prison, you know what I mean? And you're like, what are you even talking about? But understand the context, okay? Clothes were very precious. You didn't just throw your clothes away, right? You'd patch them up. And he says, no one sews a patch of untrunk clothes uh, onto an old garment. And they're all going, okay. Yeah, all right, yeah, we, we get what you're saying, right? Because, because Jesus goes on. He goes, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear even worse. That's why we don't do that, right? And Jesus, would, they would go, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, Jesus, I don't know what you're getting at here. But yeah, that's, that's what we do with clothes, sure thing, right? And then he goes on and he says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined, right? And everybody's going, geez, this is really confusing. Yes, no one pours old wine into old wineskins because it'll burst open. You don't do that. Of course, you always get a new wineskin. What is the point, right? But here's the thing that what Jesus was trying to help them understand. Because when these Pharisees, when these religious people came to Jesus and were like, what are you doing with sinners? What are you talking about where you, you came to replace the old and to give us the new? What in the world? What is this about? Jesus was trying to help, help these Jewish people understand. Look, I am not coming to give you something to just add on to the Old Testament. 
I am not giving you something just to add on to the old covenant. I'm not taking the, the 10 commands, the 613 commands, and just giving you something to tack on to that, like a bonus round of religion, okay? I'm not coming to add to the temple or to add to the sacrificial system or how you're pardoned for your sins. I'm not coming to add on to that. I'm coming to replace it. The old is gone. It's done. It's served its purpose. As Paul would say later, it has become obsolete. We are done with that. You don't have to go through a priest to have a relationship with me. You don't have to go through a priest to be pardoned by me. You don't need to visit the temple and go through the song and dance and jump through all of these hoops. I've come to replace all that and to give you something new. And I want you to leave that all behind. Because we're not pouring old wine into old wineskin. I'm coming to give you new wine. And I want it to be into a new wineskin. And here's what that means for us today. For us today, what that means is Jesus is trying to help us understand. Look, I don't want you to just take these principles and these teachings that I'm giving you and just add them on to your life. This thing is not something I want you to just do on Sunday mornings for an hour to just add on to your life. I'm just going to do this during the week, and then I'm just going to tack on a little bit of religion on Sunday morning and call it good. And that'll be good for me. No, I've not come to do that. I have come to give you a new life. A new way of doing things, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of talking to one another, a new way of relating to one another, a new way of having a relationship with one another, a new way of forgiving and reconciling with one another. I've come to give you not just a religion, I've come to give you new life. But here's the thing. I don't want you to just take this new that I'm trying to give you and pour it on into your old life. I want you to have new life. And that means I want you to leave your old life behind. And do you know what that means for most of us? For a lot of us, it means finally letting go of the past. It's it's being able to forgive yourself and let go of what happened. Let go of those experiences. Let go of that trauma. Let go of those things that have hung you up. Let go of of those prejudices and those preconceived thoughts that you've had about other people. Let go of who you were in the past. Who you were in the past was this bitter person, was this anxious person, was this person who had no self-confidence. Whatever that may be, Jesus is going, look, I don't want you to just tack this on and use it. I want you to use this to replace it. Because here's the thing, there are parts of your old life and this new life I want you to live that are incompatible. And I don't want you to just mix the two or manage the two because then what's going to happen is you're going to live two different lives. And every single one of you know what I'm talking about because we all know a Christian who goes to church on Sundays, but man, they sure do act like they don't go to church on Wednesday, right? That's somebody who's trying to live two lives. That's somebody who's trying to pour new wine into old wineskin. And clearly Jesus hasn't changed their life. It's just something they do on Sunday to look cool. And that's that's not Jesus. Jesus is going, look, those things are incompatible. I came to give you new life. He says next, he goes, no, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And here's the thing. Jesus is trying to say to every one of us, here is a new life. To go with your new way of life. Can you 
Can you accept that? Can you admit that you need help and start living a new life and let me show you a new way of living life? This is the decision that Levi had to make, that Levi's associates had to make. This is the decision that you have to make. About that time, next, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. This man had some kind of ailment where he had shriveled up hand, a tiny hand. When I first read it, I thought, this is a great place for a joke in my sermon. Because I have that game, tiny hands, you know? So I was going to like put on a jacket and like have a little tiny hand here. And then I thought, no, because if somebody's going to come in the lobby and shake my hand after service, and they're going to have a tiny hand, and I'm going to feel like a bad person. So um, I'm not making that joke, but I will tell you I'm not a perfect person. And I had a thought to make that joke. So anyway, um, this person had this little shriveled up hand. See, don't even do it, Michael. Don't pantomime it. Don't do anything, all right? He had a bad hand, okay? So he had a bad hand and he comes up to Jesus. And then next, Jesus said to him, some, some of them, or Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. Now, this is a big deal. It's on the Sabbath. They're in the temple. And Jesus, he makes this guy stand up in front of everybody. I mean, think of this guy. He comes to Jesus. He probably was like, hey, Jesus. Like, he probably hid it. And he probably was like, Jesus, like, I have this. If you, I, I believe you could heal me. And so he goes, yep, come on. Stand up in front of everybody. And the guy's going, oh, man. And then Jesus asked him. He says, Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life? Or to kill. Now, again, this is a big deal. It's the Sabbath day. You weren't allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. This was so important. You were not allowed to even heal anyone or pray for anyone or do anything. You didn't do anything on the Sabbath. And here they are in the middle of the temple, the epicenter of everything. Everybody's got their eyes on Jesus, and Jesus makes this man stand up in front of everybody. And he goes, All right, so what's more lawful on the Sabbath? To do good for somebody or evil? To save a life? Or to kill him. And all of a sudden, there was this important question that was left hanging in front of everyone's minds. And the, the question was this. Is the law of God for the benefit of God? Or is it for the benefit of those God loves? Because Jesus was breaking all the rules. This was really bad. He's about to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to do that. It's like, it's like Jesus going in and opening Chick-fil-A. You can't do that. This is bad. But he goes, well, what's more important? To help these people? To save a life? To, to, to help people? Or to, to hold up these religious standards so that we look good, so that we fit the rigmarole? And the people, the Pharisees, the religious people, it says they remained silent. You know why they remained silent? Because they knew the answer. But they couldn't say it. Because if they said it out loud, they would have had to be accountable for what they said. And they couldn't say it. Because they couldn't admit that they had put the temple and the laws ahead of the benefits of people. They had made it difficult for people to get to God. Because they had set up so many hoops and so many traditions and so many rules that it had gotten way, way off base. So then it says this. It says, he looked around at them in anger 
And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. And then do you know what happened next? Then next, it says the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, which was a political party that followed Herod. And they talked about how they might kill Jesus. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Why, why are we going to kill Jesus? Like, why not just run Jesus out of town? <laughs> why not just, you know, I mean, I get, we're all upset at Jesus, but why not just like kick him out or like, you know, make his life hard? Like, why are we jumping straight to, we got to kill Jesus? And do you know what they understood? You know what they realized when they heard Jesus say this? What they understood very clearly is this. There is no way to blend the kingdom they were trying to preserve with the kingdom Jesus had come to establish. They knew they had to kill Jesus because they said, oh my goodness, this guy is not going to let us have it this way and this way too. This guy, you got to be all in. He is not going to stop. He is not going to let us blend the two things. We got to kill this man because he's going to threaten our whole way of life. Here's my question for you this morning. Are you trying to blend your kingdom with God's? Are you trying to pour new wine into old wine? Are you just trying to add a little bit of Jesus with what you're already doing? Let me tell you something. It doesn't work that way. This thing of following Jesus is understanding that I need help. It's accepting this. It's accepting that you need help. But then it's accepting your new life. And then it's accepting Jesus' way of living life. That's, that's what it is. And it's going on this faith journey of trying to understand what this new way of life is. What it is, that how Jesus would want you to live. It, it, it's a journey. It's not something that you're going to perfect tomorrow. But it's an understanding that that the kingdom of God came near to teach you how to love God and love people and how to love yourself as well. And it's accepting that I need help. I don't, I can't do this on my own strength. I can't do this. I've tried it my own way. And every once in a while, the filters have fallen off. I've been tired. I've been frustrated. And my true self has poked through. And boy, when my real self pokes through, look out. And then... You know, I just kind of bury it deep or I get over it and we go on. But you know what? What if we could come to that place where God could give me a new life that could restore me and, 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 and take me to where I never thought I could go? What if Jesus could make my life better and make me better at life? That is what is hanging in the balance of this decision. Now, real quick, that guy Levi that we were talking about, that scum of the earth, that evil corrupt Levi, that evil political scheming dirtbag. Whatever happened to him? Because he had a decision that hung in the balance. And many of you know Levi without even realizing it. Because Levi would eventually be known as Matthew. And when you pick up your Bibles and you go to the New Testament, the very first gospel that you see is the book of Matthew. And that is our friend Levi. So Levi, Matthew, 
decided to follow Jesus. And not only did he decide to follow Jesus, but most of his office decided to follow Jesus. See, the reason we have a gospel of Matthew is because Matthew, part of his team of employees, he had scribes. And so Jesus, or Matthew travels with Jesus and his scribes do as well. And Matthew goes, write this down. (laughs) This could be important one day. And so he gives us this account as well. And, And there's something in the gospel of Matthew that are not in the other Gospels. And the reason I think that Matthew wrote this down and that the others, John, Peter, that it never came up in Luke's investigation, the reason none of them have it written down is because it didn't mean as much to them as it meant to Matthew. But when Jesus said this, it meant a great deal to Matthew. And so in Matthew's Gospel, he said, there was this time where Jesus said something to me that was so important. He said, take my yoke upon you and lean on me for I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. If Matthew were here today, he'd say, look, I'll never forget the day Jesus showed up at my office, invited me to lunch at my house, called me sick to my face and then I had a decision to make. And let me tell you, he offered for me to follow him and he promised me he would be gentle. He promised he would be humble and he promised me that my soul would find peace. And let me tell you, I am so glad I made the decision to follow him because I took his yoke and I leaned on him because I needed help. And he was gentle and he was humble and I found rest and I would recommend the same to you. So this morning, you have a decision to make. You have a decision to just admit that you need help. That's all it is. To admit that that you've been sick. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We've all been sick. I've been sick. And to lean on God this morning and to say, God, here I am. I need you. And I don't know what hangs in the balance, but I'm willing to try. So this morning, I want to pray for you this morning. And then we're going to sing a song and then we're going to go home. But will you bow your heads with me this morning? If that's you this morning, if you're like, man, I... I just, I, I do, I feel, I, feel, I feel it in my heart right now. Like I feel it in my soul. I feel like I need help. All you have to do is a very, very simple prayer. It's Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I need help and I give you my life. That's it. That's all it is. It's as simple as that. To begin that faith journey to begin that new life, to let go of the past, let go of what you said yesterday, to let go of everything you've done, to accept a new life and allow Jesus to start pouring into you, to allow Jesus to start teaching you a new way of life through his life he lived here. If that's you this morning, that's what I want to invite you to do. Jesus, I give you my life. Father God, we come to you this morning understanding just how much you love us. 
God, you came and just disrupted the whole system because you made it very clear people come first. You love us so much that you were you were willing to just tear apart your whole temple system, your, your laws and everything, and to make it as simple as possible for us to turn to you this morning. This morning, we don't have to go to a confessional booth. We don't have to go to any priest. We don't have to go through any song and dance. All we have to simply do is in our hearts say, Jesus, I give you my life. And Jesus, you've promised us to give us a new life, to give us a new opportunity, to do something new in us. For us to take on your yoke and to lean on you and for you to guide us through this life. God, would you do that this morning? Would you do that in us? And would we, like Matthew, like Peter, like so many others, be able to understand that you are trying to give our souls rest? And would we be able to give that testimony one day? Because God, you came to make our life better, to make us better at life. We love you this morning, and we lean on you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning as we sing one final song together?